Hello, and welcome to the Writers' Forum, a weekly production of WRBH Reading Radio. I'm the owner of Tubby & Coo's Mid-City Bookshop and your host, Candace Huber. This week, I'm talking to Amy Rose Capetta and Corey McCarthy, authors of Once and Future, a queer retelling of the King Arthur legend, In Space, releasing March 26th. Welcome, Corey and Amy Rose. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> and so you've both written books solo prior to this, but I believe this is the first one you've written together. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about what that process was like and why you chose to write this particular book together? Yes. Um, so the process was fascinating because it was really different from anything we'd written before. Um, and you'll hear writers talk a lot about how every book kind of requires its own process, which is part of what makes writing so endlessly exciting and sometimes hair-pulling. Um, but, but this book was really particular and, and a lot of fun in that when we were rough drafting, we got to trade off our chapters um, which I think is, you know, most people sort of assume since there's two main points of view that one of us wrote one character and one of us wrote the other, which is definitely where we started. But when we got to the revision process, it was so different because we would go through and one of us would just read big, big sections of the book and start to revise. And we would trust each other to revise whole swaths of the book um, without and do all of the changes that we wanted to, regardless of whose chapters we were in. And we didn't track any of the changes. So we would just go through and try to do everything we could to make the story um, work all together. So it started out as two voices. And then the, the farther and farther we get into it, it becomes very much its, its own um, cohesive uh, sort of uh, creation. So that was really, really fun and different for us. But in terms of where, why we co-wrote the book, um, that was entirely Corey's idea. I can take no credit for it, so I will let them tell it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, every couple of months, Amy Rose and I like to sit down and uh, write a list of all the books we want to write. And um, it's just something that we do to keep ourselves jazzed about our career and our eyes on the long haul and just kind of keep the momentum and Amy Rose would always tease me because at the end of my list, you know, I have like 10 or 12 books that I want to write. And at the end of my list, I would say, and I really want to write Girl King Arthur. And I would say, and, please, please write Girl King Arthur. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm sure somebody else, somebody, some famous writer is going to do it. Neil Gaiman or J.K. Rowling, they're going to get to it first. I'll just wait and I'll read it and I'll love whatever they write. Um, and then finally, Amy Rose was like, I, I don't understand what you're waiting for. And I was like, you know, the King Arthur canon is very intimidating. I have a lot of respect for it. I, you know, there are things I love about it. There are things I hate about it. And I have been a big fan my whole life. And I think I had, you know, I had one chapter. I had the first chapter. It's very similar to actually what's in the book now, which is, you know, Ari, King Arthur character pulling Excalibur from a tree. Um, I had that for years. I was sitting on it and I didn't have anything else and I didn't know where the story went from there. And I told Amy Rose, I said, well, the other main character is Merlin and this is so far into the future that, you know, if you know your King Arthur canon, Merlin ages backwards and he is now a teenager. And I gave and it to her. So, and, yeah. And that yeah. was so delightful to me so that excited. I just immediately 
like died of of needing that to see that book. <laughs> so, so um, she, well, she just she just took it. She like went into the bedroom, shut the door, and started writing. And I think I made dinner. And she came yeah. back out and she gave me this chapter, which is also very similar to the book that, that Merlin's first chapter that made it into the story. And and it was hilarious and it was fun and and it it had a brightness to it that I hadn't seen because you know we see so many different takes on the King Arthur canon and a lot of them are sad and depressing. Um, and this was more like T. H. White, and that is what I wanted, but I wasn't getting there on my own. Emiros actually brought this sort of brightness, and I kind of looked at her and I was like, "We could write this, and this could be fun, and this could have, you know, this could be like hilarious, but also resistance literature at the same time." And uh, and then it went from there, and everything actually happened really fast after that. Awesome. And, and- if we made it sound like um, we just wrote chapters and they stayed in the book forever, I think that's the only place that ever happened. Yep. I think we changed every other <laughs> beginning, piece, every other possible piece of the story except the beginning. And it's so cohesive. Like, you can't tell that two people wrote this book. And I that's why I was just fascinated because I was like, this is so good. You can't tell two people wrote it. And now I'm curious as to, I think I kind of got it from what you were saying, as to who started as Ari and who started as Merlin. It sounded like Corey started as Ari and Amy Rose started as Merlin. Is that right? Yeah, that's who we write in the rough draft. Cool. And yes, then it kind of just we'll, cohesively we'll came we, together. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it is really funny to us that we are finding, we're hearing a lot of people that are assuming that I write Merlin and Amy Rose writes Ari. We're hearing that a lot, which is kind of funny to us because um, you know, as we're, we're both non-binary people and I tend to be more masculine, actually Ari is more masculine than Merlin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And then there's, and then there's the whole aspect of Ari being, um, and of Arab descent. And I, only one of us is of Arab descent. So I would like, I mean, there is that aspect of it that I feel like is very important that, that, you know, Corey wrote that character and wrote and and um, brought so much to that part of it. Absolutely. And clearly T.H. White is a big influence on this book. And so what was it about T.H. White's retelling that you found so inspirational that made you want to do your own? I think that at first it just started with the love of the sword and the throne in particular. And that, that even just within the once in future king, that part um, where where King Arthur, where Arthur, he isn't even King Arthur yet, where Arthur is coming of age. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking about it in terms of doing a YA retelling and in terms of um, imagining this for um, a teenage audience and anyone who wants to read it, but but specifically narrowing in on that coming of age experience. And so that's what I, I think of is, you know, Merlin teaching him and Arthur turning into squirrels. Um, but and, and Merlin makes a lot of bird jokes, and they're all hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't work those in. I tried. Um, you did. But I kept trying I kept, to work in more birds. <laughs> it's hard in space. Um, so, but, there, but, but the farther and farther we got into it, the more we realized that a lot of what was pulling us towards T.H. White's interpretation is that he specifically um, wrote it in reaction to the things that were happening at the time. It was written in the shadow of the World Wars, and that it was it was a work of resistance literature and we were writing it the moment we started writing it actually was right after um, the 2016 election. And we were writing it very much as our own 
um, our own out of our own response to things that were happening around us and out of the need to um, to see certain things and to keep our own hope alive in in the face of all of that. So I think that at first we were we were drawn to that maybe without knowing that was a major factor. And then once we got farther and we realized that that was actually a huge part of why uh, white interpretation was, was the one that we, we kept coming back to. Yeah. And both books are, are definitely resistance literature for sure. Anyone who's a fan of, of King Arthur uh, and, and has read uh, TH White's will definitely see that, that influence in once in future as well. And, and see the, you know, the fact that Ari is an illegal immigrant and the fact that they are revolting against this huge, horrible company. And none of that is really spoilers, but I think that there's a lot of that in there as well. And that was going to be a question was, was that an in response to anything? I didn't know when y'all had started to write this. Yeah, we, um, so yeah, we definitely started writing this in December um, of 2016. And, uh, we're not, uh, we're not afraid to admit that, uh, it came at a very, very dark period in both of our, our lives. Um, we were living in rural Midwest and the, uh, we were getting death threats from our community who were upset that, you know, we existed and, uh, we were afraid to leave the house and the police declined to help. And, um, so we started writing the story and uh, a lot of people keep asking us why we wrote such extreme identity freedom uh, for the once and future world. And we were like, we were just closing our eyes and imagining a better place, a place that we needed right then. Um, at the same time that we were writing once and future, we were packing up all of our savings and all of our giving away a lot of our belongings and, and preparing to move. So we actually ended up moving to Vermont the same month that once and future sold to little Brown and um, so now we live in a much safer place, and you know we have a young child who's in school, and it was it was all part of this huge tectonic life shift. Um, and this book kind of it's kind of just it exists out of this pain and this huge transition that we had to make. Um, and we're both really really proud of it uh, because of that, because it like it, it was the best thing that could have come out of all of that madness and that pain. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is a wonderful, wonderful story. So I'm so glad that Thank y'all were able to write it in the midst of all of that. It was the only thing that kept us, um, yeah, that kept us uh, having any form of, I think, uh, brightness in our in our lives at that at that time. I think it was the only thing that we could, as, as writers who, who come back to that, whenever things get tough, I think it was the only thing we could really imagine to do in that moment. Absolutely. And so what characters like this kind of makes me think about the characters in the book, because I think y'all did such a good job with all of the different characters and relating them to characters in the King Arthur mythology. And so did did the characters come first? Did the story come first? Did the world come first? Like, how did it all start and how did everything else populate into it? It's pretty interesting because because I had been thinking about it for years before I invited Amy Rose to start writing it with me. There were things that were in like stone. I knew who Kay was. I knew who Jordan was. Um, 
I did not know about Ari. Ari took a long time to kind of, I, it took me a long time to admit how much I wanted to put of myself into Ari. Um, that's always kind of the hardest step for me as an author and as a, as a creative person. Um, so she kind of emerged later on, but a lot of the characters are there. And I will tell you that Lionel has been there since day one. I was like, there's a red fair planet. Amazing. I don't know why. Well, and then to me, the, yeah, the idea that Guinevere was queen of her own planet was just way too yeah. tempting because I could see the, the second I knew that I could see Guinevere um, really clearly. And I feel like um, Corey had so much sort of, mapped out in this wonderful way and I just got to step in and just add little touches here and there and I got to have a lot of fun with with Gwen um that was I really enjoyed getting to uh give that character who is such a big part of the Arthurian legend but also often such uh she's uh, she's sort of the character who has the most potential and is often the most powerless. Um, right. Yeah. I, I feel like we got to really uh, bring her into her own in a way that I was excited about because we get to do, you know, we get to do Girl King Arthur, but but we still have Queen Guinevere. So we get to have and then we have Morgana and then we added Jordan, who's a knight. And so we have uh, like a, a sort of big range of powerhouse uh, girl characters, which was really fun. Absolutely. And I do think that yeah, each each one of the Knights of the Rainbow are are taken from some element of our personality. So they started from, like, we relate to each character in some way, uh, and that was really important. And we still go back to that, like, when we're writing, when we're working on the sequel, we will be, like, you know, talking, thinking about, you know, Val, and thinking about the fact that, you know, Val is also non-binary, and, you know, like, getting into, you know, de- he's, uh, Val is demigendered. And, and so is Amy Rose, so that, like, we, we're able to kind of touch back in with our own identity and bring that into the different characters as, as much as we can. That's so interesting. And so do you have a, do y'all have a character that you identify the most with of all of them? I identify with Lamb the most. <laughs> <laughs> I love Lamb. Lamb is probably my favorite. <laughs> Yeah, Lamb Lamb gets a lot more page time in the sequel. Ooh, I like yay. to tell people that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I think I'm split half and half pretty cleanly between Merlin and, and Gwen. Although there's there's parts of me that that are Val too, so I guess oh yeah. wow. It's just yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Lamb and Morgana were my two favorites um, of everyone because Morgana is such an interesting character in this book. I think probably out of all of the characters, she remained the closest to what she was in the original Arthur legends. And so I was wondering about that as well. And she's, she's very complicated in this book and that's what I loved about her, but also I do think the closest. So did you do that on purpose or was it like a, a choice to kind of keep her similar when everyone else was very different or, or how did that come about? I'm going to let Amy Rose answer this one because Morgana <laughs> is her favorite. <laughs> I love writing Morgana. Um, she, she's the character that I feel like, I, I think everyone else, I, I feel like I'm helping create those characters and with Morgana I feel like I'm just channeling something because like you said she already exists so I feel like I'm I'm kind of just channeling her into the story in a really fun way um, where she is very much a touchstone back to the original tales and to 
get to um, bring her into this in a way where, in my mind, she's really not a villain. She's an antagonist to our story sometimes, and then later things get more complicated. But I, I really feel like I can always see the story from her perspective just as easily as I can see it from Merlin, who sort of set up as her eternal nemesis. At the same time, they also have so much in common because they're the only ones who've been stuck in this um, this endless reincarnation cycle of the Arthur story that we set up. So the two of them are sort of locked together and to get to um, really explore her character and and think about what this really extremely powerful woman would be going through um, while stuck in this story and at the same time um, have her be having all these magic battles with Merlin. It was, it was way too much fun to write. So I feel like there's, there's a lot from your, that very much that, that ties it back to the original uh, tale. And she, and even just time-wise, because she's in a lot of ways the same person that she was when the story started yes. um, and everything else has sort of progressed. Yes. And it was really fun to read too. Like I could tell that, Y'all had fun writing it when I was reading it, if that makes any sense. I was like, this must have been so much fun. <laughs> it it was, it, particularly writing the um, the scenes in which they're all together and they're all chatting and bantering and hanging out. Those, those were our favorite scenes to write, so much so that we overwrote the first draft by 40,000 words. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, our agents read it and they were like, wow, we really like this. This is great. It's way too long <laughs> and, we, and we just laughed and nodded our heads because we we knew we knew we knew we, knew but we, we just did. couldn't help ourselves <laughs> and that's when you know you're having fun right <laughs> exactly so how hard was it then to cut forty thousand words out well we didn't have too much time to think about it it in a way it was probably a blessing in disguise that they only gave us about 10 days to do it oh wow because they really wanted to get it out because publishing was about to hit sort of the summer, um, the summer slump, the infamous time when people start to go on vacation and it's harder to get um, responses on things. And they really wanted to send it out uh, before we hit that. So we just buckled down and cut everything we could imagine cutting. But because of the way the story set up, we couldn't cut whole sections of it. We had to just sort of like go in and hedge trim the entire novel. <laughs> Oh gosh! Yeah. And yeah. in ten days—that is a very short period of time. Yeah, we we made it happen. It was it was a little bit painful, but then you know it, it did go on submission, and you know it got picked up where where we wanted it to be. And then we have to admit this—we edited it severely. Um, the book that sold was not is not the book that's coming out. We had an editor who was not going to let anything pass. She was working really really hard to make sure that it was at, you know, it was going, it was not going to just be good and fun. It was, it was going to be, you know, it was going to sing at all the points that it needed to sing. And we are going to give full credit to her. She's amazing. Awesome. And so question about the kind of timeline and, and theme, why did you decide to set this in the far future in space. I know you originally said you wanted to do King Arthur in space, but is there a reason? Because I think it's interesting, like how far and, and clearly Merlin is a teenager, um, but how far this takes place from the original sort of medieval theme. So, you know, why do a King Arthur in space? 
Well, okay, so I think there's two answers to that. One is that it was really important to do to make it a true retelling, a true reimagining. We had to change large things about the story. It wasn't just Girl King Arthur. You know, we had to change the setting. We had to change the bad guy. Um, we were joking around recently about how, like, every year we get something King Arthur, a TV show, a book, a movie. This just happens. And they, right about when we were writing this and working on this is when the Guy Ritchie King Arthur came out. <laughs> and I'd heard, every, I'd heard everybody say, oh, my God, it's terrible. And yet I still had to watch it because it was King Arthur. And I put it on and I was like, come on, Guy Ritchie, you could have changed one thing and kept us on our toes. So for so for like the first part of the answer is just like it was it was something drastically different. It was like a new a whole new stage to set a story on that we all love. And then the second answer to that is Amy Rose and I love space fantasy. Like we just <laughs> love it. I mean, I I love I people have been saying it's a little bit like Firefly and that's a nice thing to say, but honestly, it's more like Farscape if you know if you know your Farscape. Um and we grew up loving Star Wars and Star Trek, and we loved we loved that separation from contemporary reality in which you can talk about contemporary issues in a way that aren't they're not they're not triggering um, emotionally, and yet you're still processing the the problems around it. We have a problem of monstrous corporations right now, and yet by pointing it way in the future. And, and fictionalizing the monstrous corporation, we we're able to talk about it in a way that's not gonna it's not gonna make you upset. We don't want we don't want readers to get upset. We want them to have fun and enjoy the book and feel things and maybe then turn around and look at uh, contemporary issues and process them slightly differently. Maybe if they get yeah, that. Yes, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's also something about the fact that we're talking about stories that. Uh, kind of refuse to die um and so by setting it in the future there's that there's it's kind of our way of being able to say like even if even if humanity left earth even if we get hundreds of thousands of years or light years away from uh, from where we are now we still carry so much with us with through our stories we still carry so much with us through these patterns that we repeat over and over again and so I think that was kind of a way to to show that certain certain patterns follow us, certain stories follow us. The idea of the hero has followed us through, you know, thousands of years of Western civilization. Will it follow us even further than that? Or the idea of, you know, trying to figure out how to live in a world where might so often equals right. And and so these these problems that just keep um that that are so persistent. <laughs> We got to recontextualize them, like Corey was saying, and um, also add spaceships. Yeah, because spaceships are always awesome. And spaceships plus yeah. magic is even better. <laughs> yeah. um, and so we talked about Morgana a bit. So I also wanted to talk about Merlin because he's such an interesting character to me because in this book, Merlin is both very old and pretty young at the same time. And so I was wondering, yeah. like, how fun was that to write because he's super old. He's been around forever. He knows all these things, but also he's a teenager. <laughs> yes. Um, I think I was really intimidated at first with the idea of taking on Merlin because he's one of the most canonically loved and legendary um, 
wizards. Plus, he doesn't prefer the word wizard in our version. That's <laughs> true. Um, and, and, and when I sat down to write it, the idea that he's both so old and so young at the same time really made total sense to me because when I was a teenager, I felt like I'd been alive for a thousand years. And, and at the same time, I was a total baby. Um, <laughs> you know, I just the, the weird combination of, of feeling like you've already, you've like, like, like life has put you through so much and you've, and you've seen so much and you start to feel old and cynical. And I was so, I was much more cynical um, at, at 17 than I actually am now. Um, <laughs> and so I, I got, I went back into that, that, that place of feeling like, um, I was, I was both, um, really so, so sure of everything on the outside, but also on the inside, very, um, very soft-hearted and, and, and protecting that every step of the way. Um, and there was something really special about getting to write that through the lens of this character. And the more I wrote it, the more it made sense to me, just just to have Merlin as a teenager. Um, it never, I never felt like a gimmick. It, it felt like really getting to explore something that I was excited to put on the page. Yeah. And it didn't feel like a gimmick in, in reading it either. Um, I mean, it is, it is true <laughs> to the legend and, but as you're reading it, it's like, this makes so much sense. Like, of course, this would be Merlin this far into the future. Like it just makes so much sense because he's grown a lot as a person, but also, you know, he's learned a lot, but also he is still, you know, that having like some experiences for the first time and doing these things. And so I just was like, yes, yeah. this this makes so much sense to me. <laughs> it's also funny because I've, I've, I actually haven't had this question as much as I thought I would, but I have had one or two people say, why did you choose to make Merlin gay? And I was like, you think I chose to make, yeah. have you seen any of the other versions? <laughs> <laughs> go back and watch your, go watch your Disney Sword of the Stone and tell me he's I, great. Exactly. Go on. He's wearing rainbow Bermuda shorts and shooting rainbow glitter out of his fingers. Right? And, and like, are you sure that I, that I, like, Put, imposed that on sure. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid too I had a bird named oh, yeah. Archimedes because of that movie and also uh, Merlin I, I own a bookstore now and so Merlin just like dancing around with the wand and getting all of the books into his bookcase I'm like yes this is me packing like this is 100% yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. so I love I, that I use like, like little gifts all the time when I'm, yeah, it's the best, like, right? Yeah. So, like, really, like, hello, he wears robes and rainbow, shoots rainbow glitter and, like, dances, prances around while he, come on. <laughs> um, so, what is next for y'all? What What are you currently working on that you can tell us about? I will let Amy, well, oh, okay, I'm already talking, so I'll talk. Um, I am working on something that I would really like to tell you about. Um, and I'm not sure how much I'm allowed. I actually was sending out emails this morning like, hello, can I please tell people about this? I will tell you that I'm writing a middle grade series. Cool. And it is very much in the vein of Once in Future in that it is futuristic and it has got some sci-fi elements. And it is a group of very inclusive, hilarious uh, 11 to 13-year-olds. Awesome. 
Yes. <laughs> and what about um, you, Amy Rose? Are you working on anything currently? Uh, I have a book coming out in May called The Lost Coast, which is about queer teen witches in the Redwoods. It is contemporary fantasy. Amazing. Um, and so it's like just as queer as Once in Future, but think um, witches and mystery instead of space and swords and um, and, and, and knights. Um And then I'm working on the sequel to, I'm just wrapping up the sequel to my Italian fantasy novel, which came out uh, last year. The The Brilliant Death, right? Yes. What's that? Oh, I was just saying, oh, that was The Brilliant Death. Yay, the sequel. (laughs) It's exciting. (laughs) Yes. And so the sequel is coming out um, in a little bit and it's all wrapped up. Uh, We just got through the last uh, bits of doing the pack pages and everything. And that's going to be called the storm of life. And I'm really, really excited to uh, put the sequel out there. And we're working on our sequel right now. Yay. And you've released the title of it, right? Yes. It's called the sword and the stars, the sword and the stars, which these titles are just phenomenal, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Once in future was always called once in future. Like we never had another title. Um, we were hope, you know, cause it's once for Merlin and future for Ari and, um, and then with, but with the sequel title, we were really overthinking it. Um, (laughs) We we kept coming up with all of these ampersand titles because we wanted it to match. And then we were driving somewhere, and I was like, you know, the sword and the stone, like the sword and the stars. And I'm like, that's too obvious. And Amy Rose is like, but wait. But no, it's the (laughs) best. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me today. I really appreciate it. That was Amy Rose Capetta and Corey McCarthy, authors of Once in Future, a queer retelling of the King Arthur legend, In Space, releasing March 26th. Both authors will be attending the Saints and Sinners Literary Festival, taking place March 29th through the 31st in New Orleans as featured guests. You've been listening to The Writers' Forum, a weekly production of WRBH. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. and again on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. This show and all of WRBH's programs, including my podcast, Novel Ideas, can be found on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Candace Huber. Until next time.